Welcome to the Investor Ready Funding Podcast, where we discuss all aspects of startup and scale-up fundraising and talk to both the businesses who've raised successfully and the investors who've chosen to inject their cash into early-stage venture. Today, uh, I'm joined by Chris Highland from the Happiness Index, uh, which has uh, raised at seed level already uh, and is growing fast and will be delving into their fundraising journey and some of their plans for the future as well. Welcome. Thank you, Julie. Good to have you here. Um, So please just give us some some background about you and how you actually kind of came across the problem that you're now solving. Yeah, so um, I guess I go back a little bit. So I started my uh, first business, which was a digital marketing agency, uh, when I was 26, uh, with my friend from university, Matthew Phelan. And uh, we went on a, a fantastic growth journey. The business model was very different, as in we were a people business, we sold services. So we um, grew the business, we got 30, 40, 50 people, we're doing really well. And as we got bigger, um, we realized it became a lot harder to understand and manage how number one, our employees were feeling, and number two, how our customers were feeling. So, you know, it was becoming less sustainable for me to go out there and actually go and see them because we had more and more customers and likewise for employees. So uh, the problem, so that we originally came up with the idea of actually, how can we, can we measure our employees and find out actually how they feel, how they feel. And it really started with the thought process of, um, if you ask someone down the pub, how they feel, or, or are you happy at work? You tend to get a much more emotive answer, a truthful answer. Yeah. So, um, that is where the happiness index was originally born. It was actually born within our existing business. Um, so that agency, we then sold a few years later and completed the earn out. And now we are full-time at the Happiness Index. And um, I'm very lucky that I get to work with two of my friends from university and the three co-founders. So that's that's the kind of origins of the story, I guess. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and and then, so, so tell us a bit more now about what the Happiness Index actually has transformed into from being an internal tool to now an external business. Um, you know, what's the kind of solution that you're providing to the world? Yeah, so... Um, I guess a good way to look at it is what's the kind of problem. So the problem, the, the traditional problem is that everything's measured. Like in the marketing world, everything you do, you, you have a really good understanding of what pound goes where and what return investment you get. But there was never actually any measurement on people. It was the only thing that was never actually measured. So if you look at traditional businesses, they used to do these big all singing or dancing annual surveys. Mm. So, you know, you get the survey um, in, in March, it'll be 100 questions, it'll be death by survey, you know, nobody wants to do it. And then maybe six months later, you would hear about what the results were, and what they were going to change. So, you know, as an individual, as an employee of that business, you weren't engaged in the process, you know, it was, so the problem was, was that as the generations come through the, millenn- the, the millennials, generation Z, is that these people demand feedback. They want to feel like part of the process. They want to feel like mm. they're contributing to the company. So the, th- the, the, the solution we're solving, how we work really, is we work with companies now. So we, are, we have a happiness and engagement platform and we work on 
creating feedback from employees on an almost continuous basis. So, and what the technology does, it creates feedback real time. So that's probably the huge shift in the industry. Mm. Big companies, you know, one of our biggest customers has almost half a million uh, employees around the world. The thought of crunching that data in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, it took them months. You know, that's what it used to do. Whereas now it's instant, you know, so the massive benefit for, for the employer is they get to see how their people are feeling instantly and they can act much faster with it. So that's that's the basic principle of the problem we're solving and how our, how our technology mm. works. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's adding immediacy and removing process labour. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Okay. And, and so, um, you know, you've already got some quite substantial customers with, you know, half a million uh, user base but what's the kind of what's the big vision where where is the happiness index going in life so, it's always my favorite question um I mean the, the, <laughs> biggest, the biggest challenge with covid you know which everyone's dealt with in the last year was all best you know all best laid plans just went out the window um and the interesting thing we found was that when covid hit in March 2020 the first reaction to most people was panic stations cut budgets and stop spending. So we were like, oh God, this isn't good. Um, but then straight away, within, literally within two months, you know, that new phrase came out, the new normal. And then people started to realize actually that things were changing. So as we started to recover, that enabled us to start thinking again about the long-term. So the vision for our business, so our vision is around freedom to be human. And what that means to us is that we feel like if you feel like a human being within a business, funny that, you know, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, that if, if you feel like you're treated like a human being, you give so much more to that company. Um, so we've just created something called Mission 2026. Um, lots of companies have been creating like their visions and their missions. And really what it means to us is that we want to get to 10 million revenue, a thousand customers and a hundred employees within five years. So really ambitious numbers, uh, but we want to make a big impact. Mm. That's, that's the plan. Yeah, brilliant. And it's just, I love the fact that you've got kind of just three, <coughs> three numbers. That's it. You, you can yeah. really clearly go, this is where we're going to be at. And there's no By then. they're all round numbers as well, because it's easy to remember. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. There might be a fourth one to add, which is what is what will the happiness score be for all your employees when you get to that stage? That's a good point. <laughs> so we kind of we kind of have that's a really good point. We have five pillars. So one of them is like uh, world class technology, but one of them is to be the happiest company in the world. So there's some pressure um, with regards to when you're called the happiness index that people are like, oh well, everyone must be happy your business then yeah <laughs> and of course they are but that doesn't mean we don't push people um push people yeah. to develop. so but you you reminded me we need to put a metric on that now otherwise we could just claim it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely okay so so in terms of um the you know the growth journey so far how many times have you raised investment for the happiness index so far so it's it's funny. I I would say we, we I think we've actually raised four times, if you include the the money the founders put in, before we even started. Yeah. There was like 
okay, we're going to launch this company. We all put money in and then we raised two smaller seed rounds in one 2016 and one in 2018. Um, and, you know, we, we weren't even of the understanding of what you called them. We were just raising money, you know. And then recently, a few months ago, we've just raised our proper, our first proper seed round, I guess, which is 1.2 million. So actually, it's almost been four times. Yeah, brilliant. And well, had you ever you, had you ever raised funding before the Happiness Index at all? No, never raised funding, um, but had some experience. So selling my last company, um, you know, that just going through that process, mm. sold to a French PLC as well. So just going through that process and, you know, the legal work and all the stuff involved around it and the commitment you have, we, that gave us a really good understanding of it. But yeah, when it comes to fundraising and funding your business, it's a totally different ballgame. So yeah. no, I didn't have it before. <laughs> Brilliant. And <clears throat> has all of your has all of your fundraising so far been traditional kind of equity funding, or have you used other vehicles like crowdfunding, debt, grants, anything else? So we yes, predominantly equity. Um, but we have had um, loans as well. We like we had the the bounce back loan from the government. Um, but also this in this round, we took a uh, private loan on as well. So someone invested a significant amount, and then he said, "Look, if you wanted to get more from me, we would. I would be interested in a loan as well." So we did do that. We've looked at crowdfunding because I think some a business like ours could really thrive in crowd in a crowdfunding mm. environment because of people, you know, they just see that word happiness and it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. The only thing that's ever stopped us is just the appreciation that it's, it takes a lot of time and effort. It's not so much the money, it's the time and effort and you need to treat it like a big kind of almost like marketing brand campaign. So yeah, we haven't done it. Doesn't mean we won't do it um so but yeah we'll see in the future so now the main route is tend to be uh equity yeah so far brilliant okay so um so if we go back to this most recent round that that you've just done the 1.2 million <clears throat> what what kind of formed your preparation for the round so before you went to talk to any investors at all what did you kind of have done have ready to go or, or did you just kind of go out there and start talking to people and then pull it together as you went? Well, we look, we look, listen, I mean, this is why this is, for me, it's such an interesting podcast because we've learned from our previous good things and bad things. I was going to say yeah. mistakes, but we learn along the way. So we already had uh, an, an IM from 2018, um, but actually the learning we had from that was, I, th I think it was too detailed. So it was... Quite a quite a heavy document, maybe thirty pages long. Mm. Um, so this time around, you know, we wanted to create something which was. We all, we the good the good news is we we're going through the budget process at a similar time, so we knew financially we could share the budgeting process where we were performance wise. That was that was the easy bit, but we wanted to kind of almost like create the story of where we wanted to be in five years, and then just reflect it in. Okay, and this is how we this is how we're performing now because I think. The big thing for us is we've been growing pretty organically, but the difference from 
the next phase is now it's all about acceleration. Yeah. So we had to, we prepared, you know, our presentations um, around the storytelling about who we are. And then of course, okay, if we got this funding, where we, where would we spend in it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so you ended up with a kind of slightly more simplified IM, a pitch deck, financial model, um, data room ready before you went out or? Yeah, so, so yes-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that when we, we started speaking to some um, advisors around potentially looking at VCs then um, and it was it was very clear that going down the VC route, we'd have to be a lot, uh, brush up a lot on a lot of our stuff, you know. So the network that we went to for funding, I would say, was first and second connections. So people, the people that didn't know about us, they knew someone that did and trusted us, uh, knew about our previous agency or just trusted what we we're doing so we did yeah. have some stuff ready but because it, I guess because it was private we didn't have to go uh, through as much detail we would have to go through if we go through a real series a yeah yeah definitely the 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 VC lens uh the magnifying lens is a lot stronger than uh than Absolutely. when you when you're dealing with angel uh investors certainly and it takes a lot more time as well doesn't it and with this particular funding round it was interesting because this is the first round where we we overfunded by a significant amount, probably because again it's fourth time we were trying, so we, we kept becoming better. But um, yeah, I mean we have no doubt that you know the VC route or any private equity route it will be a lot more detailed, and of course that takes a lot more time. So that was another thing we were very aware of that we didn't want to focus loads of time and energy into it. Um, but yeah, that's going to be further down the line. Yeah, sure. And and how long? I mean, how long did it take you with just the, pre- you know, the preparation that you that you did do of, of pulling all that kind of stuff together? I know you were kind of going through your budget stuff at the same time. So that was kind of a done anyway. But the the other piece is that, you know, the pitch deck, the IM and, and everything. How long do you think it really took you to pull that together before you were ready to take that out? To It would be in the months rather than weeks. I think that... Um because I, I, we've learned that we wanted to sense test on people, you know, even from test it on my wife to, are we speaking just rubbish here? Do you understand it? Because I think it's the easiest thing to do is, is to overcomplicate these things and, the yeah. and presume that the person looking at it knows our world. And of course they don't. So yeah, I would say it took, it took time. We had some stuff already, but even looking at the old IM, it was like, God, We've changed a lot in two years. So I would say months rather than weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's um I, I watched a really interesting uh program last night, Busman's Holiday, really, called The Moneymaker, which is on channel four. It's a brilliant program if you get a chance to watch it. It's a, an investor called Eric Cotton, who's an American guy, yeah. um, from Impact X uh capital investments. And he goes into a UK small business that wants to grow and helps like put some investment in and then you see them on their on their growth journey it's really interesting but one company yesterday was a a food delivery company so like ready meals delivered to to your house and on their wall they had this progression of where they'd started from so like they started with um 
a foil container with yeah. a with a plain white lid and they scribbled on it in pen and that was and they glued that to the wall on a plaque and then the next version was mm. a was a nicer box but they still wrote on the lid and then the next one had a bit of branding on it but it still wasn't and that and they had this little row along the wall that they could look back and go that's where we were um and I that I thought that was so powerful and like you say looking back at your you know your IM from two years ago and you're like wow how much have we changed it's actually one thing that 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 we miss without having an office anymore so we have a flex spot office now but when you've got your own office in your own space it's I I love we used to do that in my old company you basically (gasps) Dogs joining in. (laughs) (laughs) Let me mute him. You wanted to create those old milestones um, where you can look back and reflect and see kind of how far you've come. Um, But yeah, it's harder to create that virtually. I think looking back at this is what we've achieved and this is how well we've done. So, but no, I love I love that idea. And like you said, even look at the IM, it was like I couldn't believe how much it changed. Even just the branding alone, it was like it looks like a different company, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The branding you you always see the branding mature as as companies kind of move up and discover more about themselves and yeah. discover more about their market and everything. So yeah, there's there's always that kind of visual change, um, which is quite marked when you look when you look back. Oh, God, um, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> when it comes to the investors that you targeted mm-hmm. I mean, you said they were all kind of first or second connections but you know you've got thousands of first or second connections so what kind of um you know did you have a, a like a particular investor avatar in mind that you'd sort of designed you know this is our ideal or yeah. or was it really kind of starting with some people that you knew might have the right connections and just putting feelers out yeah I think um it probably would have been a lot smarter if we did create the investor avatar. <laughs> um, I think the first time we went funding, it was literally like, who do we know that's doing well for themselves and has money? As, as simple as that. Um, yeah. And we had a few connections from our um, our agency days. And, and, you know, and I guess as it's progressed through the years, we've become a bit smarter around the types of people because we found that some of the early investors who are obviously we're eternally grateful for, um, they were maybe just putting capital in. Whereas mm. as we got a bit more advanced, we were like, okay, it'll be fantastic to get different people investing that have connections into, into their company or other companies and can introduce us. And actually the first time, that's what's happening now. So I would say the first couple of fun rounds were almost a bit like friends and family. You know, it was kind of like yeah. our network. Whereas this time we have some, you know, sophisticated investors that are used to doing it. And, and the massive benefit we're seeing from it already is just the introductions. Yeah. It just gives us, um, it gives us, uh, I guess, some excitement around what it could be around finding the right strategic partner as well, you know, um, and the types of introductions we could get then. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, one of the other, one of the other things that we've seen work really well for some companies in trying to find out who to approach is to look at who's had an exit in your sector in the last year, because they're an entrepreneur who's definitely got cash in their pocket. 
um, and uh, and knows your sector as well. So so they can be a, they can be a great um, one to approach and and ask for a conversation, uh, a even really, if even if you get some advice yeah. <laughs> on what they point. would do. Yeah, I think we focused. If I, in hindsight, that would have been a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we did focus on was, yeah, the more of the entrepreneurs. I think we didn't want to. We didn't really have time to target too much this time. Um, and it was kind of like more of those, you know, do you know other people? Do you think the people be interested? You know, we use LinkedIn as well. Like we, I think the thing what we, which we did really well this time is that we just kept it a lot tighter timeline. Mm. Um, we kept it much more around, um, uh, much more focused on, okay. I think in the past we had a lot of people that were looking into the detail of, um, our numbers and we're almost like stragglers I guess you know we tried this time around we tried to look at it a bit more like a um, a lead process which is mm. you need to qualify people in and out you know uh, and we were got a lot better at doing it this time around so but you're absolutely right hindsight's a wonderful thing thinking about actually targeting our own sector because we just thought about this the, the types of people uh, and entrepreneur, if they're entrepreneurial and investors rather than the mm. set. But that's definitely one for me to think of next time. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And um, when you were, uh, you know, when you were engaging with those investors for, for the first time or in sort of follow-up meetings, had you, had you kind of built a particular story if you like around the race particular milestones particular targets that were sort of you know happening at just the right time to to show that you were you were hitting things or what yes. was going to happen next this time around yes um the first few times I think that I mean the interesting thing for us as our business is that it's also about timings I think that with COVID hitting, we became just a much more compelling business because suddenly, you know, beforehand, there's lots of CEOs out there who would be like, well, I don't need to measure how my people feel because I see them every day. So I don't need anything like that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Whereas suddenly, well, you know, even we're doing this, in, you know, this call now, this interview now, it, it's online. And that's, that's our yeah. world. That's the new world. Um, so, yes, we did have to it became easier from that perspective without a doubt but yeah we had to create milestones I think for us the, the learning for us this year was we created the five-year vision the five-year plan but we're a lot clearer on what that looked like year by year yeah so, okay so we want to create we want to get to 10 million within five years but we need to build that up you know it's like the hockey stick growth it's not going to happen overnight um, yeah we're willing today is not because of the investment that's the investment, you know, we're currently recruiting people now um, and spending more on tech, but that takes six months to kick in. Yeah. So the milestones were really important. And I think, the, but the, you know, what I believe everyone bought into was, was the big pitch vision. It was what we're looking to achieve, where we want to go and what impact we want to have really. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it is super important to have, to have that big picture, but also to have that kind of near-term clarity. So, we we call it um we call it a fade strategy. So 
it's much clearer the closer you are so that you've got loads of detail around the next 12 or 18 months and then it kind of becomes quarterly detail annual detail uh, that takes you out to the to the five years so um, so you're not kind of trying to plan to the nth degree for five years time because you know the world changes on its head by then Um, but, but you've got that direction of travel um that that helps keep you true and i think i've also learned as as an investor uh that's the last few years is that that sometimes i almost i want to see whether you know the big the big numbers where we're trying to target but i almost ignore the details sometimes because things just change and adapt that's the whole point of trying to back the, the people entrepreneurs is that things will keep changing and yeah you know you see those lines of like success from here to here but it's actually kind of like a big squiggle line i mean that's that's what it's like isn't it yeah yeah definitely I mean it, it's um uh we something something I, I'm always saying to clients is your business plan and your financial projections don't have to be right yeah. they have to be credible yeah so because the, everything will change but as long as what you've planned is credible then yeah. then it's you know that's what they're that's what they're after they're not after perfect you'll hit exactly that number so yeah. um you know that that's uh, that's important okay um <clears throat> so having kind of got investors interested uh and got them engaged in the process uh obviously you know you said you chose to not go the vc route because you felt the due diligence burden would be a lot heavier what was your kind of experience of due diligence process in the way that you did it this time well i think the great thing this time um we learned from experience so we have the right people in place now so we have um our chairman martin he has a corporate finance background so he helped lead the process from due diligence, legal, financial perspective. And we have our, our, a great finance manager in Noel. We didn't have those people before. So yeah. you know, the learning we had was it sucked all of the time away from us. And it's also not our skill set. You know, so yeah. a lot of we hadn't got prepared, but having their experience on hand just made the process go so, so, so much smoother. Um, again, it's not... It's not the same degree as like a VC would expect, but of course, these you know sophisticated investors still want to see the detailed numbers of the last few years, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, thankfully, this time around, we you know we um, we learned that you know if if we're all doing it as founders, it just takes all that time away. So we wanted to bring people in that could help help focus on those parts because that that's what they're good at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, and. Um... You kind of mentioned, you referenced the, the legal process as well that, that Martin helped to, to lead on. Um, you know, what was your, again, what was your kind of experience this time of sort of, you know, negotiations over the term sheet, uh, the, the high level stuff, and then, you know, the finer detail of the shareholder agreement and all the bits in between? What, how did that kind of work out this time? And, and was that different from previous times as well? Without a doubt. <laughs> um, again, experience. So this time it was smooth um, because we were really, really clear on this is how much we're raising. This is the valuation. If you're interested, please get involved. If you're not, thank you very much, but don't take any further. So this time we, we handled the process brilliant. In the past, we hadn't. You know, um, 
we were, I guess we were so keen to meet investors and impress. And we just, it was almost a bit like fingers crossed. We're just hoping they'll just throw money at us. Um, and then there would be occasions where someone would be like, okay, so this is the offer you are from me, but I want double the equity. And, you know, it was a huge challenge because you see, you know, you think, well, we want this person, but that, does that mean we dilute across all of it? Um, do we not dilute? So, yeah, we just learned this time that around managing the process a lot more effectively and mm. not getting into those conversations around, look, I'm sure everybody, everybody invested wants a little bit more. Of course they do. Um, but this is what we want. This is what we want right now. So I think that comes with confidence as well. Yeah. And also, you know, some track record, too, because you've got a you've got a firmer platform to stand on, haven't you? And and it's interesting how you see the the power play between investor and and startup. And it's almost like it's on a seesaw. And at first, the startup feels like they're down down here at the bottom and the investors right up there. And then as you build your track record and you you gain the ability to say, no, this is the way it's going to run. And then. And, and you start to hopefully get to the position where actually you've got various investors kind of jockeying to, to you know, to join in to the point where you overfund like you just have. So yeah. that, that power switch is, is, I think, not always understood or appreciated, particularly by people who are early stage, uh, uh, who are very early stage of, of, you know, thinking about where they are on that power paradigm, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, it's. Uh, I had a I had a good question from um, someone I was talking to this morning who, who said, "Oh, you know, we've been approached by a really big um, uh, VC in the US, mm. and actually they're talking about they'd they'd like us to re- like to give us more money than we've asked for." Yeah. Um, uh, but they probably want exclusivity, and we're a bit worried that you know we could get strung along for six months and then they drop us. And, and, you know, and I said to them, but if they're trying to give you more money than you've asked for mm. and they want exclusivity, that says they're really worried that someone else is going to get this deal. So mm. on the power paradigm, you're on the top. So you can say, well, actually, we're only going to give you exclusivity for eight weeks. If you can close it in that time. Yeah. Great. Yeah. If you can't, we're going to open it up to other investors. Mm. And. And it completely shifted his mindset around where he sat in that equation because it he sort of suddenly understood where where he was in in that piece. So it's I think it's such an important thing to understand. Yeah, and um, that's exactly and- what that's exactly what happened with us. Really, is that you know, of course, having the business, you know, the business is growing through the years. So having that confidence as well that you know, in the early years, we felt as founders, the first thing we had to do when we spoke to to angel investors where we had to show them we were putting in first so you know we wanted to raise half a million we've all put in 25 grand in each just to show that yeah we could, whereas this time around we didn't do it so we didn't feel like we had a need we feel like well you know we're, we're completely mm. this is our this is we we dream about this day and night we're complete skin in the game but again that comes with a conflict yeah. and you're absolutely right uh it's no coincidence at this time we were like that you're in or out we want this amount and we've got a lot more than we what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, obviously the round went fantastically well. So, um, but if you if you were raising at seed again for a future startup, 
is there anything else that you would go actually still there's we'd improve it further for a seed round yeah i would say um a bit like i mentioned earlier which is be brave so i think that the biggest thing that we fell for was that we felt almost a bit inferior uh, and like you know it was a bit like oliver twist like asking for money yeah and we kind of let people and exactly what you're talking about with the power the power paradigm we kind of let people some people take us for a bit of a ride and they'll get back to us and we not return our calls then you get an email from them like a month later saying i'm out and it's like you kind of felt the whole time along that it was the gut feel so if we were to do it again, if we started the whole process again tomorrow, we keep the, type, the, the timelines a lot clearer for, for us and for potential investors mm. and just set everything out at the start. Whereas, you know, at the start, it, really what we tried to do in the first process, we just sold the dream of the business and then the money bit was at the end. You know, oh, if you want to invest, it could look like this. Whereas I think my advice to anyone would, would be just get real clarity around what you want um, and then keep tight deadlines because the longer these things drag on, the more you're not focused on growing your business. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The ra- the raise yeah. strategy is all important. Yeah, so that's probably the, the the main one which I can think of. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, looking to the future, what's have you got kind of an approximate timeline to when you think you might do a Series A? Do you plan to do a Series A? So this is the, I guess this is, this is the thing that we we basically um, we pretty much mapped out that we we looked to need around around three to four million to get to where we want to in our in our numbers, and with, with this private round we weren't looking to raise a million. It was more like half a million. So the fact we raised more was kind of like we joked it's like the best and worst thing because we had to adapt our plan. And the, the fact that it's private is absolutely brilliant because you're still in control of your own destiny. So. Um, but we're, we're trying to keep all options open and we're very aware the bigger we get, the more options open to us. You know, we're not big enough for private equity at the moment, but we might be. So I would anticipate our current plan is, is to do, um, I would say if I was a betting man, it would be VC next year, 2022, mm. um, because this funding will get us through what we want to achieve the next 12 months. But from there, we will need additional. So how we do that, it's going to probably very likely be VC or alternatives. Like there's other alternative funds out there now, which are similar, but not quite the same. And I guess the challenge with VCs is I hear all the time the great pros and the great cons. You know, so um, I mean, either way, it will be an adventure. But I think strategically i think that what we're thinking more and more is rather than just a capital you know what can someone bring to us strategically so our our plan is to expand into europe and to go east so a, a part of this race we've now expanded it into france so if we prove that model works or could someone then say okay well we have a huge presence in europe and asia can they add to mm. that so i think the thing for us is that I think we'll probably need VC because I think we'll need a, um, an even more serious partner to work with longer term. So I think it's a likely route, but we're trying to keep our options open. Yeah, there, there's a number of VCs now that are um, intercontinental. So that, you know, that have um, kind of London, <coughs> New York, Israel, Hong Kong, 
is quite a popular mix. I don't know why Israel is particularly popular, but it seems to be. So there seems to be quite a few that are, that are based. So that gives you a bit of Middle East, a bit of yeah. Far East, a bit of Europe. Um, uh, and that means that even if you're invested in by the UK arm, that they've got that reach and all their business contacts across all those other countries. So it can be quite helpful to try and target those ones that have got that that reach across the regions that you're that you're looking at. Um, yeah. Certainly, um, and and the other the other I guess interesting one to look at as well is family offices um, yes. because you know they've often got good international reach. Yeah. They've got lots of connections with very high net worth people. Um, and it, you know, if they're if they're a more if they're not a completely silent investor, if they are a, a bit involved, um, then you get to to leverage all of that as well. So, would you say that family offices are very different to VCs, or are quite similar? Or, um, I think I think their expectations on return level can be lower. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <clears throat> you know they're not necessarily out for 60 or 100 times x they're mm-hmm. they can be quite happy with five or six times x and go yep that was that was good it's you know it's just um continuing the the extension of the family wealth in a in a sensible way mm-hmm. um i think also uh quite a lot of family offices have a semi philanthropic philanthropic approach Mm -hmm. to their investment in that that you know they have particular things that they like to invest in because of personal interests or you know so so there's there's one family office I know that the 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 guy has three daughters so he invests in female founders Mm -hmm. because he appreciates you know what it would take and and others have particular sector focuses and so so again they're they've got the the aim to actually support that particular type of company so um so there's a there is that kind of um you know force for good behind some of what they're doing as well so and and that's not to say that vcs don't want to achieve that too but but i think it's vcs are under pressure from you know from their funds from their fund um their investors in their funds to make sure that they make a good return so they have to be Mm. that bit more cutthroat if you Mm. if you like Mm. um whereas family offices have the option to say well it's our money we'll do what we like with it Mm. and you know and and actually we're quite happy with a lower return because we like what this company's creating Mm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think they're, you know, they're, they're good at being a little bit more patient and, and not quite as demanding sometimes as well. That's really interesting. I think what we've learned going forward is that we don't, I think it can become dangerous if we're having a conversation with just one, one VC or one family office, because, yeah. you know, they can then drive, you know, like any investor is going to want the evaluation to be lower and on any entrepreneur is going to want the variation to be higher. So, you know, we're, I think we're more open to the fact of speaking to multiple VCs and family offices and trying to just understand number one, where is the strategic impact? But number two is actually, if you're speaking to more people, you would hope that makes people want you more and hopefully put in better offers for you as well. Yeah. As long as you can demonstrate that you're getting interest from 
uh, you know, from those and that it's not just that you're running around talking to loads of people and no one's actually answering. Yeah, so, yeah. so you know, again, it's it's about being able to demonstrate traction, but in a different way than you have to demonstrate it for your company. Yeah, um, yeah. So but but definitely, I mean, we we tend to recommend that that clients build an initial target list of about 20 investors mm -hmm. and they go and talk to five and then stop and look at the feedback they've had from the five, look at the reception they've got, see if they've had the same comments from kind of three or more. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start paying attention. If one person says, I hate that, I think you should change it. You kind of go, one person said it. Mm -hmm. If three or four say it, okay, that's something we need to worry about. And, and then you can kind of refine your approach and then you go out to the next five with your refined approach uh, and, and you just mm -hmm. gradually refine as you get along your list and, mm -hmm. and you leave your biggest and best ones that you really, really want till the end when you know that you've refined yourself as much as you can. Um, so It's also yeah. similar, slightly similar to how we, we sold our agency. There's no coincidence the people we sold to were the people we saw last because exactly we, we didn't think of it as in we didn't plan that out to refine it but of course you get better at saying the right things and highlighting the right things you know yeah yeah definitely yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> brilliant okay um well it's been fantastic talking to you today learning all about your your experience with fundraising and how the happiness index is growing um, I can't wait to see what you do next um, and hopefully we'll have you back in about a year's time to yeah. talk about your series a raise yeah. um, uh, you're very welcome it's been lovely to have you on the show thanks very much Julie